You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Well, as we continue on in our Modern Family series here this morning, I'd like to introduce to you our, our guest speaker, but he's not really a guest speaker. He's, he's one of us. He's part of our church family. His name is Larry Gadbaugh. Many years ago, Larry was one of the co-lead pastors here at Grace, and he is now the executive director of the Portland um, Pregnancy Resource Centers, but, but he's family. So would you please join me in welcoming back to our family, Larry Gadbaugh. Okay. And Larry, on behalf of our church family, this is just a little thank you for giving your time to us this morning and for being with us. We well, love thank you, you. And we're glad you're with us. Thank you very much, Jay. Is this my pink slip? <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be home, and uh, it's good to see those of you that know me. They didn't tell you ahead of time, so I'm glad you came. And, uh, and for those that I've not met yet, uh, you're in a good church. And uh, I'm so thankful for the leadership and uh, the spirit of God that, that dwells and ministers in and through this church and this community. As Jay said, I've been serving with Pregnancy Resource Centers for 13 and a half years. And uh, what an awesome privilege that is to be involved in the work of the kingdom of God that transforms lives, to bring the hope of Jesus Christ, uh, to bring his light, to bring his life, to bring his love to our community, to our own families, uh, to our culture, is an awesome privilege to bring that hope. And our neighbors so desperately need it. And uh, I have a family, and uh, including my mom, who's, uh, I don't think she's here in the second service. She was here the first one. That was enough for her. And so she, uh, uh, she is awesome. And I am so thankful for the way this church has uh, has served my mom and my dad who who went to be with the Lord a couple years ago and and uh, how God brought them to Christ and God used Dennis to uh, to help them in that and and uh, what a privilege it is it's it's good to be back my family has five children 34 down to 19 and we have two uh, grandsons one is oh is he in the audience no in my two grandsons um one is two and a half, and if you think of Calvin and Hobbes, you can think of Calvin in, in that term. He, he likes to uh, play whack-a-mole with our dog. And then, um, the, uh, and then Abel, that's Elijah, and then Abel is, will be uh, five weeks old tomorrow. So that's a great, great blessing, a new season for our life. When I was here a few weeks ago and, and saw this beautiful picture of this modern family uh, and knowing that uh, I was going to be speaking here I was thinking you know this is not the family we see at uh, Pregnancy Resource Center and uh, and in many ways it's not the family that many of us live in the midst of and some of our own families don't look that good we used to go to Olin Mills and our children still speak of the trauma that that was (laughs) it wasn't near the trauma it was for us as parents trying to get them to quit yelling at each other and screaming and crying and and threatening each other and us for taking them to Olin Mills, but we still, uh, I won't tell you how we got the pictures out of that. So the reality of our culture, and I'm so thankful for this series, I've not been able to listen to the messages, but I've went, gone back and looked at the outlines and the, and the PowerPoint and so forth, is that the family has been disintegrating. 
And where I serve in, at PRC, we have six centers throughout the city. And uh, some of, of the people here serve on our staff. And uh, Gary Brashears, up until recently, was, was on our board and, and, and volunteers and so forth. Is that we live in a culture and we minister in a culture that, um, that has an abortion mindset. And uh, many who, who find themselves pregnant in an unplanned way, and they, they say, I don't want a baby right now. You know, most of them are not married, and so they don't have that stable, secure uh, situation to bring a baby into their, uh, into their lives. And there's a whole mindset of depersonalizing babies, dehumanizing each other, and treating sex as something other than the wonderful interpersonally bonding within marriage that God gave it as a gift to be. So the modern family needs the church. It needs us as Christians to know how to include the discarded, like the preborn, the disabled, and the declining in its family portrait. So this is a challenge because as Christian parents, um, even though I didn't come to Christ till high school, but you know, uh, our family, you know, tried to raise uh, our children in a Christian home and in this church, and we want to pursue a healthy family, and that means protecting our kids and, our, and ourselves from, from the dominant voices of the culture, which over the last two years, five years, ten years, twenty years, has uh, increasingly been in contrast to and sometimes in defiance of God's wonderful, beautiful design for relationships and for families. And so how do we do that as, as parents and as, as church people and at the same time welcoming the broken who don't have that advantage and who are influenced and driven and led by uh, the dominant voices of the culture which are not life-giving voices too often. So that's our challenge. And God is up to the challenge. And God calls us, and he will equip us to do that. So many have lost God's picture of life as it's supposed to be. But at PRC, we've been able to literally open the eyes of the blind. We've been able to do that through the ultrasound machine, and we're so thankful for that. I'm going to take about 30 seconds and just look at one example of that on this video. see that beating heart. It's about 20 weeks old in the womb. And what happens when women and men, uh, whatever their age, and they come in and they're they're confused, they're scared, they might be angry, they might be in a very difficult situation in their life, and they're considering uh, the dominant choice of, of aborting that child. And they see a picture like that, and, they, and God awakens them, God opens their eyes, and they say, this is a person. This is someone that's, that's like me. And now I need to, whatever it takes, I need to embrace 
that child. I need to protect this child. I need to, to provide for this child. <coughs> we, ha- we see it happen in, in women and men. Last year, we did 1,500 um, ultrasounds on women, and uh, 9 out of 10 of them chose to carry their baby to term after they see the, uh, the ultrasound because we're hardwired to be life givers. And it's, against, it's really against how we're created to be is to take the life of our own. The estimate is, is that one out of three women in the United States of childbearing age have had at least one abortion. One out of three. And so very likely there are those of you here who have experienced an abortion in the past. And Jesus has a word for you. You can be forgiven. You can be set free from the regret and the, and the shame of that. And, uh, we ca- and we conduct a heart Bible study. It's called Heart. And uh, that shows you what Jesus declares and that it applies to every sin, to every uh, destructive choice. And so I want you to hear that hope because God has given us an ultrasound of himself. And I think the family is one of those ultrasounds. It says that he's created us in his image. He's created us to reflect what he is like and how we relate together in family, how we relate together as Christians, as church, is to be a reflection of that. Sometimes that's fuzzy. Sometimes it's not as well developed. And, and most of the time, our eyes are not sensitized to the light because we've been living in darkness so long. And so by the Spirit of God, he can give us that picture. And he does that in his word as well. So, for example, back at the very beginning, in the first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis 1, God declares what human beings are. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And he goes on and says... So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And he blessed us, every human being, with the capacity to to, uh, have a relationship with God. And so my working uh, description or definition of the image of God, which is a very deep subject, but is that God created each one of us to receive, respond, and reflect his goodness and greatness in Christ for eternity. He created us with the capacity to receive his love, to receive his life, to receive his light, his truth, and then to respond by faith, to respond in hope, to respond in love to him and with each other. And then to reflect that in the way that we carry out our responsibilities, in the way that we conduct our relationships. And as we do that, we bring glory to God. We bring peace and shalom. We bring, we bring joy to one another. And that's what the family is all about. And when we function that way in relationship, in right relationship with God, walking in humility, walking in repentance, then that works itself out in our relationships, which are in constant need of reconciliation. I'm only speaking personally of that, of course. So God gave marriage he gave the family as a reflection of how great and how good he is but this came under attack immediately almost immediately in Genesis chapter 3 the very next chapter where it says the serpent 
who we find out later in Scripture is Satan, said to the woman, did God actually say? So God has declared what our identity is in relationship to him, and Satan, the serpent, is denying it. You, sh- you shall not eat in the, the, of any tree in the garden. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. He directly contradicts the word of God. And the woman and the man, Adam and Eve, they believed the voice of the creature instead of the creator. And what God said would happen, happened. And that is, death descended into that family. And so this, the family has been under attack ever since. Because Satan hates the image of God. Satan hates any reflection that would waken us up to see how great the love of God is, how great God's life with God is and with each other when it's lived out in obedience to the Lord. And so that showed up in chapter 4 of Genesis. So here's Adam and Eve's family. They've got two sons, two siblings, and Cain kills Abel. And then when when Cain is asked, um, hey, where's your brother? He says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, I don't need to treat my brother as if he's as important as I am. He's something less than fully human, so I just killed him. (laughs) So this is the nature of of the attack, not only on the family, but on life and on love and on on truth. Because sin divorces what God has joined together. Sin divorces us from God, the relationship with God. it uh, brings in conflict between male and female. It brings in uh, destructiveness in marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a faithful, sacrificial expression of love between a husband and wife. And it also divorces us from sexes, from the, from the purpose that God has given for sex. Because God has given sex as a wonderful gift within marriage between husband and wife as intimate bonding and expression of love to to contribute to unity within the marriage. And our attitude towards sex guides our view of marriage, of pregnancy, of children, and of abortion. And so when we don't think right according to God's ways about the purity of of sex, then it distorts how we pursue that kind of intimacy. And it devastates us instead of being a wonderful gift from God. It also divorces um, and, and creates havoc in seeing pregnancy as God's gift of co-creation. So we have lost sight. We've been become blinded to the life of the relationships as God has given it. But God, in his grace, gave us his word. And in his word, you know, in the Old Testament, he, um, he gave the law to, to Israel and he said, here's how you are to live if you want to live in shalom. If you want to live in, in a life that, that fits together, that works, that's beautiful, that, that is life-giving, live according to my ways as I'm giving it to you in my covenant. But Israel didn't do that. They continued to sin and follow after the voice of the cultures. And so as time went on, God sent his prophets. And over and over again, they would prosecute them and say, this is where you failed. This is why your life is so messed up. And, and one area that they constantly um, brought out was how they treated the widow and the orphan. 
So James in the New Testament picks this up in James 1, 26 and 27. And he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, out of all of those commands in the Old Testament, why do the prophets and why does James pick these widows and orphans as kind of the litmus test? It's because the prophets say, James tells us that, you know, we can, we can go through all the religious stuff, we can do all of these things, but if we neglect or even abuse the widow and the orphan, the dependent, the, um, the helpless sometimes then we don't get the heart of God. We don't get the heart of the law, of what God was, was driving for. He wants us to, to reflect his likeness, what he's like. And God shows his power by how he treats the powerless, how he helps the voiceless. That's where God shows his power. That's the power of the cross. It's the power of sacrifice. It's the power of servanthood. And as we show that in our community, in our churches, in how we treat the, um, those that are the most dependent, the, the least, as Jesus said, among us, we get what God's heart is like. So I want to look at three examples of the least of these from God's perspective so we can continue to grow to be an ultrasound of God's family that we need and that our community needs. So the first, I've already mentioned, is the discarded, the preborn. You're probably aware that uh, there's about 10,000 abortions in Oregon every year. Most of those are done in Tri-County, Portland. And uh, there's over a million uh, performed in the United States. That's like wiping uh, greater Portland off the map every year. And, um, And so the voice of God's people called to speak hope and life-giving direction into the lives of those who are facing unplanned pregnancy. Most of those who choose to abort are in a situation where they're not married, they're not in a stable situation. Some of those that we see in the centers are um, victims of domestic violence. They're, uh, they're living on the streets. They're involved in sex trafficking. They're prostitutes. They're, some come from stable homes but just got involved in a relationship that that you know with the consequence of of pregnancy just the whole spectrum and whatever their situation the dominant voice of the culture tells them you can take care of this and there are no consequences there's no long-term effects in your life we know from speaking to thousands of women that that is just not true for most of them the imprint that that leaves on their soul has to be healed by jesus christ and thank god it can be and it is And so we bring that hope. But we, as God's people, need to be clear about God's view of the preborn. That every preborn child from conception on is created in the image of God. As Genesis 1 says, in Psalm 139, read Psalm 139 where it says, basically, you wove me together in my mother's womb, David says. And... uh, we are his handiwork. We are his designer children. And we belong to God. And that life belongs to God. And that life is a gift from God. So to bring that perspective to someone who's confused and, and has listened to the wrong voices is so crucial to bring that hope. 
And so we have the ability to do that. So one example of someone, and this is representative of some, but not all, of those who face an unplanned pregnancy. Here's one woman who, who posted this on the internet. Little thing, she's writing to her uh, fetus. Little thing, I can feel you in there. I am both sorry and not sorry. I am sorry that this is goodbye. I'm sad that I'll never get to meet you, but little thing, we will meet again. I promise that the next time I see that little blue plus on the pregnancy test, the next time you are in the same reality as me, I will be ready for you. Little thing, I want you to be happy more than I want good things for myself. I want the best things for the future. That's why I can't be your mother right now. I am still growing myself. It wouldn't be fair to bring a new life into a world where I am still haunted by ghosts of the life I've lived. I want you to have all the things I didn't have when I was a child. I can't bring you here. Not like this. I love you, little thing, and I wish the circumstances were different. I promise I will see you again, and next time you can call me mom. So this woman uh, chose to abort her child, terminate her pregnancy, And you can see her thinking of how she formed her own thoughts as if she could create her own reality, create her own situation, uh, because that's what our culture tells us. But when we are able to interact with a woman like this, we're able to tell her, we're able to show her fetal development, we're able to show her the ultrasounds, and she can make a different decision. And nine out of ten of those who see the ultrasound change their mind because they get it. God awakens her maternal instincts within her. And so that's a great privilege that we have. How we view the preborn has come to impact the way that we think about the disabled. <coughs> Excuse me. This is the mother of Oscar. And uh, she writes this. She wrote this on the internet. For the tiny baby I'd just given birth to, a much-wanted brother for our daughter Delilah, never took a breath outside my body. We, his parents, chose to end his life before it started. Days earlier, tests had shown that our darling boy had Down syndrome, as well as a host of severe health problems. So Tim and I made the excruciating decision to terminate my pregnancy at 15 weeks. And so she goes on and tells what an agonizing decision this was. And yet, that's the decision she made. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because family that know Christ, the people of God that know Christ, can make a difference. Here's another story from Heather. This is Heather and her sister. And her sister writes this. Heather was born in 1978 with Down syndrome, a chromosomal condition that often results in mental retardation and impairment in physical growth as well. Heather has both and recently underwent her fourth open-heart surgery to repair damage that has resulted from her condition. Although no national data are available, the abortion rate of fetuses with a condition of Down syndrome was found to be between 60 and 90%. So 60 to 90% of those um, through genetic testing, screening, uh, are diagnosed with Down syndrome, are being aborted. <clears throat> it's said that those with Down syndrome or similar disability would have a lower quality of life and therefore would be better off if they were never born. Heather is a person, and not just a person, but a lovely human being, one of my favorites. She has remarkably 
sweet disposition, and I challenge anyone to try not to like her. The reality of the matter is that we are not killing babies with Down syndrome for their benefit, but for ours. I don't deny that raising a child with Down syndrome is difficult. With most children, you need to invest 18 years, but Heather still lives at home. She always will. She has required special diets, special exercises, numerous visits to doctors, surgeons, and hospitals. When she was born, my family struggled financially. When God calls a woman to bear a child with Down syndrome, he's not calling her to something different from the selfless sacrifice expected of all believers. Christ told us to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. To my parents who have modeled so well this kind of sacrificial obedience, thank you for not killing my sister. And thank you for giving her the perfect middle name, Joy. For that's exactly what she is and exactly what she brings. So for those who can see life through God's eyes with that hope, they can experience that. We can experience that and we can help others to do that. Knowing that I was going to preach this week on these matters, I asked uh, Jen, one of our former staff members at PRC, who has a Down syndrome daughter and uh, uh, who's now five, and her name is Anna. And I asked, um, I asked Jen to tell me, how can we as Christians, how can we as a church better uh, come alongside and be supportive and show the love of Christ to families, to households that have special needs, family members? And this is what she told me. The church that I attend accepted Anna from the beginning, and that is huge for a family who is raising a child with special needs. One of the families from church will watch the kids for us every once in a while, and recently they took both kids overnight. Even though it was just for one night, it was very nice for both David and I. When families can get a break like that, it is huge. Anna is not treated any differently than the rest of her peers while at church. In fact, Anna is an official non-greeter at church. Anna will go around and say hi to about everybody, and not only that, she gives them hugs. I've been the recipient of those hugs. They're pretty awesome. I can't even begin to tell you how much this brightens everyone's day. If you know of a family who has special needs, offer to bring dinner to them or offer to come and help them clean the house. I know for me this would have been very helpful, especially during the times of early intervention. Most people don't understand how exhausted families can get by raising a child with special needs. It can be physically, emotionally, and spiritually draining at times as you have battles to deal with every day, and sometimes they are very overwhelming. My comment, that's true with children without special needs, so we can understand. Some people will refer to a person as their diagnosis instead of them as a person. To refer to them as the girl with Down syndrome is an example. Anna and everyone else with any type of disability are not defined by what they have been diagnosed with. In fact, it's their personality that defines who they are. Anna is a blessing to not only her family, but to everyone who meets her. Anna is just, in just five short years of her life, has touched so many lives. You can't put limits on a person with a disability because they will and can conquer so much in life We never know how the Lord is going to use them for his purposes. I can't tell you, because I haven't kept track, of how many diagnoses that I have heard parents tell me, said they told us our children would never, our child would never walk, would never talk, would never see, et cetera, et cetera. 
And even though that's true sometimes, there have been a lot of wrong diagnoses. Our response to the disabled has come to impact our response to the declining. Perhaps you've heard of Brittany Maynard, who in one week from yesterday intends to end her life because she's been diagnosed with the most lethal form of brain cancer. Doctors told her she may have only six months to live six months ago. Her medication has drastically changed her appearance. She's decided to forego aggressive treatment and die, as she puts it, with dignity. And uh, so she's moved to Portland because, of course, Oregon was the first state in the union to uh, ratify physician-assisted suicide. And so she's come here to end her life. She plans on next Saturday. So I pray for Brittany and others like her that she would encounter someone who knows Jesus Christ. Johnny Erickson Tata, a quadriplegic who has been instrumental in so many things, including the American Disabilities Act, wrote to Brittany because this has been a media event. And so Johnny (coughs) wrote this. I understand she may be in great pain and her treatment options are limited and have their own devastating side effects, but I believe Brittany is missing a critical factor in her formula for death. God. The journey Brittany, for that matter, all of us, will undertake on the other side of death is the most important venture on which we will ever embark. So it must not be disregarded or brushed aside without thinking twice about the God who alone has the right to decide when life should begin and end. Romans 14.7 says, For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. Brittany's well-publicized decision is already influencing untold numbers of despairing people that physician-assisted suicide could be the answer to their problems. This is no way to strengthen care and nurturing in society. Rather, such a decision further unravels the cords of compassion that have characterized our nation for so many decades. A right to privacy is radicalized by physician-assisted suicide. It does not strengthen the common good, but only alienates, separates, and dismantles us as a people who truly care for one another. Most of all, assisted suicide poses a real danger to people with disabilities. Who is to say when multiple sclerosis or ALS is classified as terminal? People who receive a diagnosis of a chronic disabling condition often experience suicidal feelings, but later adapt very well. Working through that initial period of despondency takes a lot longer than the waiting periods of existing physician-assisted suicide laws. If I could spend a few moments with Brittany before she swallows that prescription she has already filled, I would tell her how I, Johnny says, have felt the love of Jesus strengthen and comfort me through my own cancer, chronic pain, and quadriplegia. I would tell her that the saddest thing of all would be for her to wake up on the other side of her tombstone, only to face a grim, joyless existence, not only without life, but without God. And that's the privilege that we as Christians have, is to say we live life, we make decisions in this life, we make life and death decisions, we make pregnancy decisions in light of eternity. In light of the God who created us to have a relationship with him. In light of the God who loves us even in our pain, even in our discomfort, even in 
um, the ravages of sin in our lives, whether self-inflicted or inflicted by disease or, or being victims of someone else's violence. God is with us in Jesus Christ. That's the hope of the gospel. It's what we've been singing about. And because of that, and because life belongs to God, and because life begins at conception, we have that, that it's a difficult, and, and, to, um, and to express that, and we know this at PRC, to express that when women come in and, and they're victims of domestic violence or sex trafficking or all kinds of other things, and to say, you know, it's tempting to say, uh, yeah, you should end this pregnancy. But because of conviction about what God is and because of the many people we've seen God intervene and lift them up and strengthen them so that they can go on and be thankful for the baby that they gave birth to and perhaps you know, uh, um, made an adoption plan or continued to parent, we know that God is powerful because he's loving. So our, our call is to make sure that we are clear in our conviction. What do we really believe about what the source of life is? What do we really believe about what God says is our stewardship of life? That we're called to be life givers, not life takers. What do we really believe about the grace of God and the mercy of God, even in terrible pain and suffering? And that should move us to compassion. We need to grow in compassion. When I came to PRC... I was pretty strong in my convictions, but I had a lot to learn about compassion. And working with the women um, who serve in our centers uh, has continued to soften me. And then we need the courage to speak, to speak the truth in love, as difficult and as complex as that can be in, in the way that the technology is. There was uh, an experience that we had back when I pastored here with Dennis, Friesen, and there was a woman who had <coughs> um, diabetes. She had already been, because of uh, uh, circulation problems, had already had both legs amputated, and uh, circulation was continuing to uh, get worse. And there were some, there was some other things that she, other decisions she faced, and she decided she knew Jesus, and and uh, she decided uh, a different course. But the process that we went through, I thought, was a beautiful picture of how the Church of Christ and how, how the community of God uh, can make a difference. We gathered to get, we were able to gather together, she and her husband and uh, her whole extended family, some who had been estranged, have not, had not talked to each other for a long time because of different conflicts. We gathered the whole medical team that were involved in her care, the, uh, the care center where she was being taken care of, I don't know, there were about 30 of us in, this, in that room, and, and I remember Dennis and I and Gary Walden, um, who was an elder at the time. We sat around that, and, and she shared what her intentions were. Uh, there was reconciliation that went on among family members. They all wept. They all pleaded with her. Uh, they were able to accept her decision, and uh, it was very difficult, but it was a thing of beauty because it honored the Lord. And uh, every scenario, you know, would be different. But, but it was a picture of what happened when God's family exhibits the conviction and the compassion and the courage to move into those situations. So God calls us to that.
So Christ's church is called to be God's ultrasound, to reveal how to sacrificially love the discarded, the disabled, and the declining. And if we learn how to do this, continue to learn how to do this, in the hard cases, the difficult situations, the ones where, where answers are, are very difficult, then we can continue to walk together, find God's wisdom and grace to, to help each other in that. And then we reveal to the community the value of human life and how God views life and to live life in light of eternity. Now, in this congregation, I'd be shocked if there aren't those who have, ha- who have not had or currently have unplanned pregnancies, who have had abortions in your past, who have uh, uh, elderly that you're caring for or having to face decisions uh, about um, other disabilities that, that you're uh, having to, to serve. And God's grace is powerful. And I urge you, if you are in need of that, to seek out the people of God. This, this leadership team here is one that I would trust to go and say, I have this need. I have this situation in my past or in my present. And I need prayer. I need guidance. I need God's perspective on this. Do that. And, you know, I often ask churches, I speak at a number of different churches, I often ask churches, if you had an unplanned pregnancy in your household, would you go to the church leadership for help? Some churches would not. (laughs) They'd get a mixed message. But I know you'd get a good guidance here. I urge you to do that. And for the rest of us, we don't have to go very far in our circles of relationship to find those that, that, uh, that face one of these kinds of situations and many others. We can be the people of God. We can be the light of hope in Jesus Christ for our neighbors as well as for our own congregation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that um, Jesus Christ was sent by you out of your love into our darkness, into our, our, our brokenness, and that you chased us down. You captured us with your love. You brought us into your family circle. And we praise you, Father, that now you have equipped us by the Holy Spirit and by your word so that we can be instruments of your grace, so that we can comfort others with the comfort that we've received. So I pray, Lord, for those in this congregation that wherever we're hurting, wherever we're confused, wherever we're depressed, Lord, I pray that you administer Christ to them, the risen Christ, with the hope, the love, and the faith that we each need, Lord, to walk in light of eternity. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.